This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! And a very warm welcome back to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams here alongside Kindred de St. Aubin, as always. Later on, we'll be joined by Columbus crew analyst Jordan Angeli to help us preview Minnesota United's next opponent. But first, Kindred, before we look into the future, let's go back into the past. And it seems like an eternity ago since we, we had the last game uh, against Colorado Rapids. We're recording this on Monday due to several conflicts. And um, it's safe to say uh, it was a satisfactory performance from Minnesota United. United, but they'll be disappointed they didn't get the victory after all. Yeah, I think, you know, it was hard to know what you were going to predict in that third and final game, knowing that Colorado wasn't going to make it through and knowing that Minnesota United was through, but you're still fighting for positioning. Um, but I do think that Adrian Heath was very, uh, very uh, point blank in his assessment going into that match that they have gotten better every game and we hadn't seen the best from them yet. And he still expected much more from that group. The first two games against Sporting Kansas City and Real Salt Lake were not up to his satisfaction. I would say that the Colorado game, if he had to say so, um, wasn't as well. But again, the group has progressed every single game. And Ian Fuller told us this week um, when we did the recap show with him that they do view this as, as it's, a, it's the second preseason. So even though these games were counting, they they were trying to progress and in that 11 v 11, 90 minutes, get everybody healthy and game fit. So, you know, the 2-2 draw, um, I think maybe as the result wasn't quite fair on the day because I think Minnesota did ultimately have the better of chances in that match and the better of possession. But it is what it is. You were without Kevin Molino and uh, move on to the, the next round and the round of 16 and a very, very tough task against the Columbus crew. Without Molino for the game against the Rapids, that may very well change against the crew this coming week. That meant Hassani Dotson came into the fray for the Loons against the Rapids uh, and a, a shift in formation as well, 4-3-3, which the Loons aren't unfamiliar to. Uh, but it still, at least from our vantage point, looks as if they are trying to get to grips with that formation. They, they aren't 100% familiar and, and comfortable with it yet, are they? Right, and I think they actually kind of flow back into a 4-2-3-1 at times just by the nature of familiarity of that's what you're used to playing. And and let's be honest, you know, in the 4-3-3, the three in the middle of the park are very free-flowing anyways, and you have these outside backs that are so mobile and can get in on the attack. So I think when you have um, Hassani Dotson and Jan Gregush and Ozzy Alonso sitting centrally, those three – rotate quite a bit and can take on different roles. For the most part, Ozzy stays home and, and the other two kind of rotate in between. But we saw the three of them change positions as well as the three up front. I mean, how many times have we seen overload on one side where you have Robin Lud, um, Luis Amaria, and Ethan Finley all on the right-hand side of the box in the attacking third of the field because you have the Chase Gasper, the uh, Hassani Dotson, or somebody on the left-hand side to kind of fill in that void um, when you're switching fields. So um, I think it's a free-flowing nature, but you just have to be careful not to step on each other's toes and in each other's space and making the same runs to the same space. So it's going to take time. But, yeah, when you've hammered home that 4-2-3-1 for so long, yeah, it's going to take some time. But that's also the beauty of the game of soccer, right? You're, it's, a, it's a thinking man's game in the sense that you have to have the nature and the ability to just change on the fly and read the game as a group but at the same time, not overthink it and just play the game and, and play what's in front of you and play simple. 
We had him on the podcast. We knew Kai Kamara would be dangerous. He was just that and, of course, got the opening goal against Minnesota United. Uh, talk me through that goal. How could that have been avoided? Well, I think, uh, I mean, I still am strongly of the opinion that it was a foul on Ozzy Alonso at midfield. I think that he did a tremendous job of opening his hips to fake out. I think it was Diego Rubio to, to switch the fields. Diego Rubio was kind of coming in hot at midfield and he opened his hips, Ozzy did, to go out the other way and switch fields. And um, he got clipped just a little bit. It wasn't a flagrant, obvious foul, but when you're, in open space and you've beat the guy. I think Ozzy Alonso was smart and goes down a little bit with the contact, knowing that he was going to lose possession there. So anyways, they, they don't make the call and the ball goes, you know, goes the other direction. And Ian Fuller did a tremendous job in breaking this down for us. Just saying that positionally, you know, they maybe got caught out of, out of position a little bit. Ozzy Alonso had come back to receive the ball, which they're very comfortable with at midfield. And we talk about how good he is on the ball, but Chase Gasper was a little high. Roma Metanier had pushed up really high. Your center backs were maybe a little bit out of position. Uh, Michael Boxall had dropped in with Kendall, or not Kendall Austin, with Kai Kamara. And um, they went the other way. And you know what? Colorado probably couldn't have completed that goal any more perfectly. All the passes, the overlapping run to draw the defender out. Michael Boxall's trying to decide, you know, if he's going to step or not. Jose Aja is trying to track. And it just, you know, Ozzy Alonso is doing what he can to come back and, and help out. And Tyler Miller just not the opportunity to save. So I think it was one of those things where Minnesota United is pushing up and has their numbers going forward and their outside backs going forward and got maybe caught a little bit flat in the back. And um, the ball goes the other direction and Colorado does a fabulous job and finishes it. Minnesota United got themselves back on level terms, though, through Ethan Finlay. And this is how it sounded. So a chance for Minnesota. Jan Gregish to the right-hand side of the penalty area. Lashes towards goal and it goes in. Jan Gregish, perhaps via a deflection, Ethan Finlay will take the adulations as Minnesota United will celebrate. Jabra caught to the near post. It was lashed towards goal with plenty of venom and vigour by Gregish. Finlay stuck out a toe and Minnesota get themselves back into the game. 35 minutes on the clock. It's 1-1. So Jan Gregish uh, was the, the real problem maker there for the Rapids, um, lashing the ball towards the near post, as we said on the commentary. Uh, Ethan Finlay having the, the presence of mind to stick out a toe. Yeah, and exactly, you know, a training ground goal, in my opinion. I mean, uh, Ian Fuller told us, you know, you have options at the back post, you have options centrally, Jan Gregish, and, but they, they saw, you know, that, there was an opening there at the near post. I think it was a two-person wall. So he put that in the perfect spot on the near post to beat the goalkeeper. And all Ethan Finley had to do was get a deflection. And we've seen him flick it on in the past and go, you know, find some one of his teammates off the flick on the near post. But this time all he had to do was stick out the toe and redirect it and beat the goalkeeper. And uh, there's really no chance to make that save. So as long as it stays inside the post, it's a goal. But you could not have a, a better ball in by Jan Gregus to curl around that wall with pace at the right height and Ethan Finley, you know, training ground, flick on, and a good solid finish for him to recognize that that's, that's the play that was on and that's uh, put in the perfect place. But you do have options in the central part of the box and on the back post if you want to switch it up next time and find a bigger body inside. So uh, just a tremendous finish, a, a great ball in by Jan Gregush, and um, it was nice to see Minnesota bounce back after that goal that goes against them for Colorado, which was kind of unfortunate and, you know, they felt a little hard done not having the call. If the first goal for Minnesota could be identified as a training ground goal, that's exactly how the second goal could uh, be described as well. This was vintage Minnesota United. Good time for Minnesota and bringing the ball forward here. Alonso 
getting the better of Colin Warner in the centre circle and playing it to the right-hand side and Roman Metanier again here for Minnesota. Inside now for Jan Gregus, midway through the Rapids half. Plays it inside now, Metanier inside the penalty area, Metanier across, Finlay scores! Beautifully crafted by Minnesota United, who have turned this game on its head completely. Roman Metanier, the architect. Ethan Finlay, the man with the finish. He's second, Minnesota second, and the Loons lead 2-1. A definitive goal from Minnesota United. Well, I love that on the audio there, we went all the way back to Ozzy Alonso bringing the ball up because we've talked so much about Ozzy Alonso and his importance. And we've talked a lot in the first three games about the first pass out of transition or the possession out of transition when Minnesota United wins the ball in their own half or at the midfield line. How do they keep it and then go forward and build? And Ozzy Alonso has been the key piece for a few of those chances. The Even the Robin Lud chance in the prior game against Real Salt Lake, it was Ozzy Alonso choosing to bring the ball up 20, 30 yards and then find the pass. So he does the same thing here where he keeps possession out of traffic and he finds Roma Metinier on the right-hand side who does a nice little one-two with Jan Gregus. And again, a perfectly weighted pass on the opposite side of the defender to beat the defender. And we talked about it with Ian Fuller as well. That's got to be that pass has to be perfect because you got to put enough weight on it to beat the defender, but not too much that it rolls out over the end line. And you know Romain Metinier is going to not give up on that play, just the nature of him as as a player. And so just a perfectly weighted pass for Roman to continue around the end. And how you're able to even have that play happen is Ethan Finley tucking in. You have Ethan Finley all the way in the middle of the box. He does his nice little shoulder fade that he does to kind of fake the defender and comes off the defender to open himself up and get that ball from Roma Metinier. It was played just a tad bit behind him because you're trying to time a lot of things there, but he gets his toe on it and finishes it for his second goal of the night. But the other nice thing is if you watch that play again, you watch Ethan Finley's movement in the box. If it had gone by Ethan Finley and missed him because it was a little behind him, you also had Robin Lud that was just in behind and probably could have gotten a touch and a shot on it and hopefully buried it. But instead, it was Ethan Finley's night. Two beautiful goals for him, two great finishes. Um, I think it's deserved for him. He worked so hard and um, to be to be rewarded with those two finishes and the two goals and really for the whole team because that was that was textbook Minnesota United with kind of Ozzy Alonso bringing it out of midfield finding the playmaking abilities, the one-two, the playing behind and the overlapping run and, and the finish in the box. So before we say goodbye to the group stage in this tournament for Minnesota United, Kendra, I'm eager to get your thoughts on this. Five points have been gained mm. in three games. Is that deemed a success for Minnesota? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, let's just talk about, again, the circumstances of Orlando, but the fact that you are, you know, through this amount of games of the regular season and you were undefeated and every game you've gotten better. And let's not forget the three games that you've played in Orlando and the situations and circumstances you've played in. And they are essentially away games. And I get the road games for everybody, but still you've gone on your first two regular season games on the road and won them, you know, handily. Um, with Portland and San Jose convincingly, and then also gone on the road after four months um, of not doing anything and not playing 11 v 11 and not having Ike Parra, oh, by the way, um, as your center back and gotten this point, these points. So absolutely a success. You would take it and gotten better every game. And now Columbus is the next massive challenge. Yeah, big opportunity for Minnesota United against the in-form team of the tournament, Columbus Crew, on Tuesday evening. We'll speak about that game a little later on in the podcast. But for now, let's take a look around the tournament, shall we, Kendra? And uh, safe to say, once again, it's not been short of entertainment. The Vancouver Whitecaps have played twice since Minnesota United last played. They beat uh, Chicago 
Chicago Fire by two goals to nil uh, before last night going out on penalty kicks to Sporting Kansas City. Short-handed Vancouver Whitecaps, no doubt about it, but getting through a difficult group, no doubt. Uh, will they be pleased with their tournament? I think they'll be pleased with the progress that they made. Same thing throughout the tournament. Um, I think the fact that... Uh, you know, they did not look sharp in the opening of the tournament, but it seemed like they got a little bit better and they started to come to grips with the the players that they did have on hand. You know, I mean, I think some of the players that they found out weren't joining them in Orlando. Um, and maybe this, maybe they knew, but we didn't. But, you know, that's a, a major adjustment when all of a sudden you're finding out that some of your key pieces, and particularly your attacking pieces, um, and Montero and Cavallini are not joining you on this trip. You're having to readjust and make some massive changes. And this is a club that already has gone through some turmoil, whether it's mm -hmm. in the front office, whether it's based on the results the last few years. It just seems to be like Vancouver the last few years has always been a question mark. And they got better as the tournament went along. So I think they can feel good about now going back to Vancouver, getting all their pieces to the puzzle back in the mix and feeling like they have a good solid ground to go forward with. I think that they'll feel better about the way they progressed and the way they go out of Orlando as opposed to some of the teams who almost regressed. Like DC United to me kind of regressed as the tournament went on and might feel less comfortable with how they're coming out of Orlando than a Vancouver who might feel better about it knowing that they're adding some of these key guys. One side that uh, dropped perilously um were the la galaxy Ugh. um i <laughs> it's it's so difficult <laughs> to put into words isn't it because at the end of the day they are the galaxy they're a storied franchise but we, we cannot ignore the facts amongst all the global superstars that they have signed over the years kindra now and i say over the years because it has it's been several years now mm -hmm. since we can really ever say we've been confident in a galaxy defensive shape and a galaxy back line because from a defensive point of view they've not been great for the last couple of years why has it not changed well and i think because they keep well first of all we know where do teams spend their money of on course. attacking players. Right. So, you know, similar but different to what we even see with LAFC right now, right? LAFC's back line is clearly not their strong suit. Mm. Their goalkeeping clearly not their strong suit. But you kind of always hope that you bring in the big money attacking players and it's going to compensate for any goals that you're leaking. Well, LA Galaxy has not found out found that combination. They have not found the attacking players. Even Zlatan Ibrahimovic all by himself up top and with a couple of players supporting them underneath cannot do enough to compensate for the goals that you are leaking. And maybe at some point and sometime along the way, they will realize that they need to have more quality in the back and they need to have more quality in the goalkeeping and even centrally. Now, again, they're missing Dos Santos, which is a two-way issue. It's not just attacking for the Galaxy. It's also defensive. That really helps in your shape. But they have not figured out yet that they're going to not just be able to go sign the flashy attacking player. How about signing a flashy defensive player? It doesn't have to be a DP. It doesn't have to be the same level as money as Chicharito or a large TAM player or, a, or you know, like a Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But you've got to spend some money on that back line, and there's got to be some cohesiveness there. And it's just, I don't know if maybe um, Guillermo Barroscoloto is not the answer as well. I mean, sometimes... Unfortunately, no matter how great of a coach he was at other ranks and other places, if teams and players are not responding to your manager, sometimes it just doesn't work. You got to make a change. And I, I just I just wonder if that's going to be the case in L.A. Because you can't change all 11, but you sure can change the coach. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder as well. It, it doesn't 
exactly require Einstein to figure this out, does it? I, I wonder if at some stage the galaxy will go with uh, a proven and tested MLS centre-half. For example, when, when Minnesota United went and signed Ico Parra, exactly. they knew exactly what they were getting yep. and they knew they were going to have to pay for it and yep. obviously it worked out very yep. well. So why aren't the galaxy operating on a similar level? Why aren't they saying, right, OK, we, we, we've made some mistakes, we've brought in some, some foreign defenders that haven't worked, why don't we go and get the, the proven? I just think I just think over time it's just been the same thing. I mean, look at every player they've ever signed, right? It's always been an attacking player. Can you name a big foreign or proven center back? It doesn't even have to be foreign that they've signed over the years. As they've signed, you know, David Beckham, if we go back to the days, or if you, you know, Robbie Keane or any any of these guys, like these attacking players that they continually sign, I just think that it's always sort of managed to work for them. But now that they've had a run of two, three, four, how many years has it been since the Galaxy has not been in the, in the distraction of this shiny, flashy thing? Mm-hmm. This, you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, this Chicharito. Look at the fan for fanfare. Look at the announcement, the, the lion when they signed Zlatan and then going in these interviews with Chicharito and the big deal that's made and they fly him over. And I just think that the shiny new object has been enough to distract the fan base. And now that's not going to be enough, especially with LAFC. How many miles down the road? They didn't have LAFC miles down the road before. This is a new thing now that it's in your own city and you're being dominated by this club that is just down the road. That is not that is a new thing for them in the last two years. So I think it's purely this is going to be the straw that broke the camel's back. And Dennis Toclosa and whoever is going to have to make um, some changes and they're going to have to reevaluate. And who knows? I don't know how these transfer windows and everything are working this summer. So it's going to have to it might have to be a 2021 thing and they're going to have to tough it out for the rest of the season. Talking of changes and underachieving, Atlanta United crashed out of the tournament. And uh, to add even (laughs) further insult to injury, um, the manager, Frank DeBoer, uh, left the club. Um, Atlanta United and Frank DeBoer parting ways um, was the official statement from the club. Um, What were your immediate reactions? You and I were were texting back and forth when we heard the news. Mm -hmm. Um, This was... Uh, a surprise to several, but but also a lot of people saw this coming as well, didn't they? Well, I saw it. The way I looked at it was not looking at, you know, how many trophies and, and titles they had won in the time that he was there, because I do think with that roster and specifically with Joseph Martinez, and that's not to minimize the effect of a manager or a coach, but, you know, there were a lot of managers that probably could have done that with that roster. I mean, he, he was handed the keys to, you know, a McLaren and just kind of took it for a ride. It was like, hey, this is... You know, let's let's I don't have to do too much. All I have to do is not screw this up with what Atlanta United was capable of doing their first couple of years. And um, but it just felt like he wasn't the right fit to me based on personality with the team, the, the players they had brought in and um, with that South American kind of vibe and energy and what um, Tata Martino had done with that club and the way he was playing, the style he was playing. And even when Frank DeBoer first took over, they, they were trying to change their style of play quite a bit. And we were like, who is this Atlanta team? What's going on here? Um, we saw it in CCL last year, the way they started out the season, like what they're not creating chances. They don't good, look good attacking. There's no flair. There's no energy. And they were able to right the ship in 2019 and kind of figure it out. But some of that, I think, was just the players kind of taking over and Joseph Martinez doing what he does. I think I saw a stat in the ESPN game the other night saying that he was responsible for 38% of Atlanta United's goals, regular season and playoff. I mean, that's a lot. And, 
he just, Frank DeBoer just didn't seem like the right fit for me. So then you take Joseph Martinez out and then you throw a few, some troubles in there. And, and the other piece was, it wasn't that they just went scoreless in this tournament and they went winless. They didn't even create chances. They didn't even look dangerous. They looked just not like themselves, not that free flowing attack. Just there was nobody that was afraid of this Atlanta United team. Nobody afraid on the counter, nobody afraid in possession, nobody afraid on set pieces, nobody afraid anything. And so I think to me that was, um, this was probably the right decision. And we talked about super clubs. I don't know if Atlanta qualifies as a super club yet, but they won't hesitate to make decisions on, on coaching staffs, in my opinion. That's why I'm kind of surprised that it's maybe taken LA Galaxy. I wouldn't be surprised to see a change at some point. That, that you got to make a change. And, and Frank DeBoer, we hear, is a mutual decision. And um, I think it was the assistant was named today as an interim coach for Atlanta United, so we'll see. But even if the assistant coach isn't doing a whole lot, sometimes it's just the change mentally for the players, a fresh start to get back on their feet again for the rest of the regular season. But they didn't look like – I mean, Pitty Martin, you're the South American player of the year. And when he would hit a dead ball 23 yards out, he didn't even look like he thought he might score, like in his head. He just wasn't there mentally from a confidence standpoint, and the pieces weren't flowing. Bart goes the same way. I think he needs to be coddled a little bit, and he didn't look confident. So once those free-flowing pieces happen, I think it'll, it can, they can get back on. But um, I think this was the right move. Be interested to see what happens with Atlanta United. Uh, for those wondering, it is uh, Stephen Glass, young English coach, uh, the Atlanta United 2 manager who's been placed in temporary charge. Um, you would assume he would be put in charge now for, for the remainder of the campaign. But who knows? Uh, Domi Torren yes. is a name that I think has oh, been linked straight away really? with the uh, Atlanta United job, the former New York City FC manager, uh, for those unaware. Um, that'll be interesting. Mm. I am intrigued to see what Atlanta United do on the coaching front mm. uh, over the course of the next few months. Anyway, um, into the knockout stages of this tournament, there have been several casualties already. Montreal Impact falling to Orlando. Uh, New England Revolution uh, falling to Philadelphia Union. New York City FC beating Toronto and, as we mentioned earlier, on Sporting Kansas City on penalties, able to push aside Vancouver Whitecaps. Any surprises there for you, Kendra? Um, I actually thought Montreal was getting better as the tournament went on, but Orlando kind of held serve there. Um, I think uh, Bruce Arena wasn't real happy about the, <laughs> <laughs> about the way that result. I think Philadelphia looks really good. Um, I, I kind of thought that before the tournament. I think they've continued to look good. And, um, you know, one nothing is probably a fair result there. Last night's game, uh, the Toronto game, I thought, in the NYCFC game, I think we saw exactly what we've been talking about. You throw Morales back in the mix and what a difference he makes for NYCFC. They looked, not only were they actually creating and doing things, but right from the first whistle stepping on the pitch, when Morales was on, like, they just looked more confident with what was going to be happening going forward. They looked like they knew what they were doing and what they wanted to accomplish. So, as you know, it's what a difference a player can make. I thought TFC looked like they were ready to go home before yeah. the first whistle. I mean, I, I was shocked they didn't talk more about it in the broadcast, about the turnovers by Michael Bradley at midfield. Like, they just look like they are ready to be done with the tournament. And they just look completely checked out to me, that late goal. 3-1 is deceiving because it was 3 nothing. and could have been more. Um, and then the craziness of the Vancouver-SKC game. I, I actually thought that um, Vancouver has gotten better as the tournament went on, but I did think Sporting Kansas City would have won that more handily, and they would have if it wasn't for the goalkeeper of Vancouver. He made some tremendous saves. 
and uh, the 21 year old, the youngster, homegrown. What was his name? Yeah, Tommy Hassel. Yes. Hassel, and um, he was just fantastic. And it was kind of fun seeing, you know, this wide-eyed look on his face, this naivety of him in in goal mm. against the Sporting KC side with so many attacking pieces and so many good chances. And I think as he continued to make save after save, it gave the Vancouver side more confidence, and you could see them livening up and feeling good about it. And then, of course, it goes to penalties. And Tim Mealy, uh, probably one of the best in the business at PKs, and. And, um, uh, you know, probably rightfully so, Kansas City ends up going on. Yeah, rightly so, because Kansas City, let me give you some stats here, Kendra. 63% in possession, shots on target eight, but 36 shots complete. Yep. Um, so not a bad evening for the young goalkeeper, Tommy Hassel, who, in my opinion, deserves all the headlines there. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we head to break, Kendra D. St. Aubin, I, I just want to ask you this. We're at a point now where I think it's fair to ask you. You said earlier on that, that there were several teams that you fancied to go on and win this all the way. Has your opinion changed at all, having seen the tournament the way it's played out? Well, it's changed after the first couple games. But to be fair, I did say going into the tournament that I thought Atlanta United would still have a chance, even without Joseph Martinez, because of the talent of that group. So I'm not going to sit here like I'm Nostradamus, and I predicted Atlanta to go goalless and, and winless. But as even after the first game, I know it was against FC Cincinnati, but Columbus crew to me has looked fantastic. And I absolutely think, I know I'm not by myself here, but I think a lot of people fancy them to to go through. And honestly, Orlando has looked a little better than I thought. I thought they were kind of fool's gold in the first couple games, but maybe a little better than I thought. And, um, you know, Tesho Akindeli somehow just finds a way to score goals no matter what. But I would say uh, Columbus Crew for me is one that I could fancy winning the whole thing. But they do have Minnesota in their past, so it's a tough one. It's tough for me to say that on the podcast. But, man, do they look good in a lot of areas. Columbus Crew look fabulous. They are the form team of the tournament. We'll find out why next with Columbus Crew analyst Jordan Angeli. Stay with us as the Match Preview podcast continues. While team sports may be sidelined right now, team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. Welcome back into our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin, as always. And joining us now to talk about Minnesota United's next opponent, Columbus Crew, is their analyst for Fox Sports Ohio, one of the rising stars of the American broadcasting world. Jordan Angeli joins us. Jordan, how are you? I'm great. Wow, that was quite the introduction. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I have, I have um, a good person to look up to in Kindra. I know she really paved the way for a lot of us. So just appreciate the path and... Uh, really enjoying what I'm doing and excited for what's to come tomorrow. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting indeed. No doubt about it. We've already talked about them in this podcast. Columbus Crew, the informed team at the moment in this tournament down in Orlando. Why is that, Jordan? You know, I, I think that's the big question, right? Everybody is curious. Why is, who is this Columbus Crew team? And for me and my little time that I've really been with the team, right? I moved to Columbus on the 1st of March, and we all know what happened 12 days later. And it's just been uh, being away from the team and then seeing them come back together. There is truly a unity within this team that is an X factor. And I feel like we've all probably seen those teams, been a part of those teams where they are willing and up for any challenge. They are united in who they are and also humble in the fact that they are continuing to pursue something bigger and they know that there's still growth to be had. So um, 
I, I feel like that's kind of their X factor right now is just the way that they work and gel together. And it's been fun to watch. I think it's safe to say um, the reason that they tick as well as they do is because of a certain central midfielder, Darlington <laughs> Nagby. Um, yeah. Without him, they look very different, don't they? They really do. I think I've talked about Darlington Nagby in the last few weeks more um, than I have maybe in in my career as a broadcaster. But I think one of the things that's special about him is when you play against him, and you guys probably feel this, right? You see him a, a couple times a year, if that. Um, depending on where he's playing and what conference. And those games, you are like, this guy is ridiculous. Well, I get to see that day in and day out now and talk about that day in, day out. And so I, he really is something special. He has all the qualities that you want in a player. He's a quiet leader. I wouldn't say he's a vocal leader, but he puts in the right work to lead this team. Um, what He's missed three passes so far in this tournament, incomplete, three incomplete passes. He has the, I think one of the things that sets him apart is his dribbling ability. And he reads defenders so well and where they're about to pressure him um, or if they resist and, and hold up on that pressure, he'll then just hold the ball calmly at his feet. I think that's one of the most unique things about him is his awareness of how teams are defending him and his ability to escape that pressure or uh, whatever it may be. How do you find then the partnership with Artur and Nagby? I think um, I've heard it talked about a few times in the broadcast so far is just the fact mm -hmm. that they've had the ability to um, play off of each other, read each other. Artur has, is more comfortable in his role knowing that Nagby is sitting behind him. So how have yeah. you seen that partnership? It's really fun to watch that develop. And I, those two... Although they do have very similar qualities, I think that there are aspects of their game that are better uh, than the other. I, I think Artur has stepped up as far as his presence in what is asked for him defensively, and he's willing to tackle a little bit more than Nagby. I think Nagby reads the play well and almost can like scoop up a ball without having to tackle and just reading where the attacker is going or leading them into a direction where um, there's numbers where Artur is willing to get stuck in a little bit more. But I think they work off of each other because both are comfortable in the role going forward and helping create and being maybe uh, the playmaker or the person to set the tone as far as how they're going to go forward. But they also will sit back and let the other one kind of explore what it looks like to get into the attacking third without feeling like they really care who it is. And I think that's important when you have that kind of relationship where it's like neither one really cares who shines. They really balance each other off, balance off each other well in that aspect. Well, and I'd be, you know, we'd be remiss that we went this long without talking about Lucas Alorayan, but what we all saw the the goal in the first match and his ability to hit the set piece. But what else are we missing from him that you saw? You said it. You see these guys day mm -hmm. in and day out, and we're assuming that he's going to be healthy and able to play in the match tomorrow. But um, what are you seeing from him as a player that isn't just the the goal azul, but the, you know the kind of mm -hmm. the uh, the other play that you see that makes him special? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that goal up because it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep thinking about, like, how did he do that? It was beautiful. Um, it's one of those that I think will stick in our minds for a long time and uh, remind us of all the brilliance he can have off on the ball. But I think off the ball is something that has really stuck out to me because when you bring in a big-name player, you don't really know 
uh, especially in that 10 spot. Traditionally, 10s have had the freedom, you know, to kind of do whatever they want creatively going forward. And his willingness to buy into how this crew team wants to be structured defensively, I think is really important. And him and Jassy's artists start the defense. They are the start of the defense and they really set the tone for that. And I think that his work off the ball has allowed him to get unified within the squad a little bit easier because they're, they know everybody knows he's going to put in the work defensively. And it also, you guys know when these players put in that kind of defensive work and the ball is turned over, they actually are in better spots a lot of the times to pick up the ball in pockets of space. And I think that Stellar Allen does that really well. And he's just uh, a magician, magician on the ball. He's so fun to watch. And no doubt about it, because of the creative nature of Zalarayan, one individual that is thriving at the moment is Jassi Zardes. Um, are you surprised at how sharp he's been during the tournament? Honestly, no. I think one of the things that Zardes does well is he he's good in the box, right? He's good with quality crosses, with a cross that is turned into a pass. And I think the way that the crew likes to play and the way that Caleb Porter has... Uh, instilled his style of play into this group that you see these buildups that are 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 passes long, right? That results in a goal. And if you're a goal scorer scorer, and you live inside the six, well, that's only going to help more people get in better positions to feed you the ball and for you to utilize the space a little bit better. And I think that that's why it's kind of set him up right is the way that this crew play the crew team plays they they kind of mix it up so there are those long sequence of passing where he can find himself within the six but um then they can transition quickly right and we all know Zardes has the the pace and the ability to sneak in a back line in the right seam and finish and I think that he's just riding high on confidence you guys know it better than anyone that if you have a striker or a player who um, has found the back of the net a couple times, well, that's going to feed them in their confidence as they move forward, whether it's a tournament or in the regular season. What do you make of Caleb Porter and what he's done with his team? And did, did they just, I know you just got there in March, but uh-huh. clearly you looked back at, at 2019 and whatever, the, you know, what they did last season. But what do you make of what he's done with his team, his messaging to the guys, how he approaches the game, how he approaches the players? What do you make of him so far in your time with Columbus? I've been really impressed. I think for me working uh, in the Western conference for so long and knowing Caleb Porter for, for who he was as an outsider looking into Portland and his managerial skills there, I think you expected a team that was bought in. And I think sometimes when you come into a new organization, it takes, it can take a long time to get the right pieces in the right spots. And you could see as the year went on last year, the right pieces starting to unfold through uh, transfers or uh, u- utilizing that summer transfer window to get some of the more the pieces that fit his puzzle a little bit better. And I think through that summer transfer window and the off season, the crew, and you have to credit GM Tim's, Tim Bezmachenko in this as well, is they've been able together with Caleb Porter is establish who they want to be as a team and go out and get the, the right pieces. And you already mentioned Darlington Nagby, Lucas Celerion. Those are important pieces. But you also see Luke, um, 
Yunus Mokhtar, who came in last year in that transfer window, and he's thriving, and he's thriving because he is that type of player that fits the system really well. And so I think it is not only uh, what they have done to get the right pieces into place, but Kendra, you mentioned messaging. I think this team is really, really eager to do something different. There's been, you know, a transformation of the crew over the past few years. We all know that story, right? And with new ownership and new leadership, I think that this team has now seen this as an opportunity to say, all right, we've got a chance to do something different and we are fully bought in. We know it's going to be a lot of hard work and they're willing to put in the work, but they're also willing to celebrate. I think one of my my favorite moments of this MLS's back tournament is uh, Lucas Celarion's goal against the Red Bulls. Every single player came into the corner and celebrated with him in that moment. And when you see a team like that and the unity in a team to um, come and celebrate that moment with each other, I, I don't know. It just felt special to me. And you could hear them all cheering each other on. I think that um, it is a really unique group who's hung, hungry and um, eager to do something different. Shrewd operators at Columbus Crew at the moment, no doubt about it. But what about the opponents, Jordan? How will Columbus mm. Crew look to get the better of Minnesota United? Yeah, I I don't know about you guys. I'm excited for this match. This is, um, I think this is going to be one of the most intriguing matchups that we see because we've seen Minnesota United and what they can do without the ball, right? You guys are disciplined and uh, d defensively structured. But I think that you also have this twofold about you where um, through buildups, you, I think people talk about the first couple games of the year, right? And your ability to get after teams on the counter. But I actually think that you're, you're better with the ball than I think people give you credit for. And so um, I'm in interested. I think both teams can attack each other in similar ways through possession or through quick uh, counters um, that start from good defensive structure. Uh, there's going to be interesting matchups all over the field. Uh, Lucas Celarion against Alonso is something that I, I um, am eager to see how those two styles match up. It's going to be a fun match, and I think really high energy. You've seen already in these first couple knockout days how different these games feel. And I just hope that both these teams, I think they both are in the same mindset, that this game really matters and that the money matters. But I think it's that Champions League spot that both of these clubs are eager to try to pursue because we know that champ being in the Champions League can propel a club in, in a lot of different ways. Before we let you go, Jordan, uh, no doubt about it, there is um, a romantic element uh, about Cruz Stadium, obviously, with it being the first soccer-specific stadium in North America. But times are changing. The crew, as you mentioned, undergoing a transformation. Uh, I saw some images of the new stadium and what the stadium mm -hmm. will look like, uh, and a, a beer hall, a brew hall in the Nordeca. This could be absolutely game-changing for Columbus Crew. Could you tell us a little more about the stadium and, and how the renovations are going? Yeah, I actually just got chills thinking about it because <laughs> I think you guys have set the standard really high. Um, yeah, getting to go to Allianz Field a couple of times last year, uh, there is something so special about that place. And I think that you can see how with something new and for you guys, it was a, a new club as far as coming to MLS and building this new stadium a, a year. Was it a year or two after you guys came in? Two. A year? 
Two. Well, we came in in 2017 and then the stadium was open in 2019. So. Right. Right. Okay. So it was like, you know, everybody bought into like, okay, we're building something here and it feels that same way right now around the crew as well. And I think what better time to uh, open a new stadium than that? It is, it's going to be, it's going to be really cool. Um, The supporters section and the, the angle at which the fans will be staying will really feel like they're almost on top of, that side of the pitch. And then for me, what I really like about the new Columbus Crew Stadium is it's going to be all canopied. So you guys have been in arenas like that, whether it's in Europe or here in the U.S. where the sound stays in. And as a fan and a spectator, but also as a player, there is an added energy that brings that that brings to the game that um, I just honestly can't wait. I was telling my broadcast team, like, I got to go and uh, watch one of the games with the supporters. This seems like it's going to be so much fun. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like a good spot. Yeah, it's got to be fabulous. Uh, Really looking forward to to seeing the new stadium when it does eventually come to pass. Uh, But also, you know, it's going to be sad to see the original stadium goes yeah. there as well. You yes. know? But yeah. like, either way, uh, Columbus Crew, a sorry franchise, no doubt about it. Jordan Angeli, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, enjoy the game and uh, appreciate you joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. That was uh, Jordan Angeli, Columbus Crew broadcaster. And some interesting points there, no doubt about it, Kendra. And um, this one will not be easy for Minnesota United. They are the form team in this tournament. Some interesting insight there from Jordan as, as to why that is. But what, what's your perspective on Columbus Crew? Well, I do think that a lot of it is the messaging and the points that have been made by Caleb Porter and just the fact that it's a second season Um, it's another season under Kayla Porter and trying to get his pieces in line. You know, she talked about the additions of who they brought in, but also fitting the pieces to the puzzle that are already there and how that cohesion takes place in his messaging and how he wants his team to play and how he wants them to attack, how he wants them to defend. It's a player that we didn't even talk about is Jonathan Mensa, who's the captain of this team and he's the center back. And every single thing you read about Columbus crew, he gets mentioned. Jonathan Mensa gets mentioned about the importance to that club by the other players. So I think those are certain things that kind of the unsung heroes of a team, a center back who's your captain, who organizes, who gets everybody on the same page. Everything's been made about Darlington Nagby. Everything's been made about Lucas Elorayan, all the attacking pieces and what they've got going forward. But a, a player like a Jonathan Mensa is just as important to this Columbus crew side and, and what Caleb Porter is trying to do. And I just think there's a free-flowing yet organized nature about the way they're doing things. And um, she talked about Zardis and the defensive commitment by Zardis and Zalavrian, and we will see it in the game against Minnesota, and we saw it in their previous three, their ability to high press and force the turnovers in the opposition's defensive third of the field and then get their attack going and look at where they already are on the pitch. So that's been a key to, I think, as well, what Columbus is trying to do. So Minnesota's back line and, and midfield and players like Ozzy Lanza are going to be very important for, for Minnesota. The spine is about as stern as it ever has been for Columbus Crew, as you mentioned with Mensa, the midfield combination of Artur, Nagbe ahead of them, Zellerayan and Zardes ahead. The supporting cast, not bad as well. Um, Jordan mentioned players like Mukhtar, um, people like Pedro Santos as well. Um, this is not going to be easy for, for Minnesota United, but also that there seems to be a tremendous unity, as, as Jordan touched on as well. How important is that, particularly in the setting that the clubs find themselves in at the moment? I think it's really important that they have bought into the ideas that Caleb Porter has presented to them, and it makes it a whole lot easier to buy into those ideas when you're winning. 
Yes. We all know that. When you're winning and you're scoring goals and everything is going the right direction, even with some injuries, which they have had. I mean, their center back suffered an injury, what was it, 17 minutes into the first match. Um, Warmgore, whatever, Vito. Yes. I mean, we saw that gruesome Dutch. ankle injury that just looked. Mm. Yeah, I probably didn't say that last name right. You probably have the Dutch <laughs> way of saying it. But, um, you know, they suffered some injuries. Mokhtar suffered an injury. Zellerian sat out a bit with a, in a, a little bit of a knock. So we'll see. But they've just filled in the pieces. I thought Pedro Santos did really nicely in there in that 10 role. Um Brings a different kind of a flair than than uh, Zalaran does in that position. So I think the idea that they know what their roles are, they know what the system is, they know what's being asked of them. I think Caleb Porter is very straightforward in his communication of saying, this is what I need from you. This is why you are playing. This is why you are not playing. This is why you're coming off the bench. This is why you're not coming off the bench. And that goes a long way with players. And I think that that's all kind of part of the trust and um, that they've gained and that they've appreciated. And then, of course, again, winning helps. Let's give some serious props here to Darlington Nagby yes. as well. Because, look, this is now his role now is no doubt box to box slash holding midfielder. But this isn't the first role that he's played and been very effective as well. Let's not forget as well at Portland Timbers under Caleb Porter, mm-hmm. there were times he would play on the right hand side of the three behind the forward. There were times when he played in the 10, there would be times when he played in, in the box to box role. Um, how underappreciative have have we as mm-hmm. the, the North American soccer public been of Darlington Nagby and, and, and why has it taken us so long to really appreciate what he does? You know, and I, I don't know why it's taken me so long to appreciate what he does because now I'm, and maybe I needed that little break of his time in Atlanta where I felt like he was really underutilized and underappreciated and they did not use him in the right way that then it made me go back and go, appreciate what he did in Portland and what he's doing now with Columbus because you had that little bit of time where you didn't know who he was with Atlanta and I don't know if he knew who he was with Atlanta and now I can appreciate what he's done in the past and his ability to hold the ball and you heard Jordan say it to keep the ball to distribute the ball to play the ball to him under pressure and one thing I heard Caleb Porter say that he doesn't get enough credit for his defensive positioning So he may not be the guy winning the ball. He may not be the guy tackling the player, but he is the guy in the right spot at the right time to cut off a pass. And he may be off camera where you can't see him. He's out of view. But his positioning defensively is forcing the opposition to play a certain way, to play a certain direction. It's allowing your teammates behind you to be in the right spots at the right time defensively, to have the right shape. And those are things that Darlington Nagby does away from the ball as well that I think also has gone underappreciated. So if and when you watch this Minnesota United game tomorrow night, pay attention to that. If you have the zoomed-out aerial view Pay attention to his positioning at all times, very similar to Ozzy Alonso, and that they are just in the right place at all the right times to make the game easier for your teammates. And that's what Darlington Nagby does. I will ask you from a Minnesota United point of view, then, how do they get the better of this Columbus Crew side? Because we we are the understanding that Molina was back in training. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean he's necessarily going to be available, mm-hmm. but that would certainly help, wouldn't it? Very important to have Molino back in to be that playmaker sitting underneath and to have that combination play. And if um, if it is uh, Luis Amaria up top, we see the chemistry that happens there and how can they combine with Robin and Ethan and be interchangeable in that front four, front six situation. Hassani, not Hassani, if it's Jan and Ozzy can stay home a little bit more, have that defensive shape and and deal with Azela Rayan and Artur, who has ventured forward a little bit more. But I think that Minnesota is going to have to break that line of pressure and break it well and go out on transition. 
Minnesota has great possession, but I want the possession possession after they break that line. We saw the high press from Columbus Crew. They had the ability with those front pieces to press when you're in your defensive third. So Michael Boxel, Jose Aha, and Chase Gasper, Roma Mentanera, if those are your back four and Tyler Miller are going to be have to be sharp and on their game with the ball at their feet to find that first pass out, whether it's Ozzy Alonso or maybe dribbling just a tad to break the pressure, find Ozzy Alonso centrally, find Young Gregu centrally, and then go forward and find Kevin Molino. The Columbus crew pressing so high, I think that's where Minnesota United is going to have to find their shape in transition, but through possession. I'm not talking like a long ball direct not just knock it up in the air. I'm talking possession, but you find that one pass that splits three guys on Columbus and you're out the other way. Should Zellerayan play, we, we are under the impression he, he may very well do so. Um, Ozzy Alonso will be a key component again for Minnesota because with Zardes ahead of Zellerayan, you would expect the loons to be a little deeper um, and, and hope to, to not allow... Zardes to play off the shoulder and get in behind with his pace. But if they do that, that means there'll be a lot more room to maneuver for Zellerayan, thus meaning Alonso will be absolutely vital, no? Well, not only just keeping track of where Zellerayan is at all at all points. I don't think it's going to be some crazy man-to-man marking all over the field, but there's mm. going to have to be an awareness there when you're passing players off. So Ozzy Alonso's first first task is going to be Zellerayan. But then his second task is going to be communicating with Jan and passing off that player if you need to, or passing off that player if he pushes up high to your two center backs. And I think that the two center backs have to be very careful in their shape that one of them doesn't draw too high on Jassy's artist because he can draw you out of your shape in the back line. He'll tuck back in underneath and then allow somebody to overlap to get in behind by drawing that defender out. And I think that's a little bit what we saw in the first goal that Colorado scored. It was much higher up the pitch, but when... Kai Kamara dropped way in. It was, I think it was Michael Boxel stayed right on his back, and then Jose Aha was kind of left by himself when the ball went out on transition the other way. So just the awareness, the communication, the covering for each other. Ozzy Alonso is so oftentimes the player that does cover when one of the center backs gets pulled out of position. So then it's going to be on Jan and others to make sure that they're all on the same page, they're covering for each other, they're tracking back, because there's a fluidity to their front four as well. And it's I think that's where Minnesota United's community and just being on their game, not turning off for a moment is going to be vital to to have some success and find a way to not, you know, you just can't switch off. I mean, there's plenty of attacking pieces for this team that, and if Mokhtar is, is healthy as well, there's plenty of attacking pieces for this Columbus Crew side that can hurt you. Okay, let's um, start winding things down here, shall we, with a, a stern tug of the heartstrings. Ethan Fenlay and Aaron yes, Schoenfeld going yes. up against their former employers. And this is a team that they were with for several years as well. It's not like it, they stopped and had a cup of tea. You know, it was a, a, a long spell that they had there with them. Uh, no doubt about it, this will be slightly odd for them. Well, I think it's going to be motivational. It's, I think it's going to be, I mean, not that Ethan Finley or Schoenfeld, I mean, I know Ethan Finley a little bit better, needs any motivation to get pumped up for a match, but I'm sure he's been pummeled with media requests all week, and I heard him on a availability yesterday where there was a Columbus Crew reporter, and he was Ethan was giving him a hard time on it. So, um, yeah, absolute motivation, and, and Ethan had a career years there, and, um, you know, there's always something to be said about trying to go back and prove it to your own team, even though it's a different coach and it's a different time. It's your own. It's your old club, the club that you spent a lot of time with and had a tremendous amount of success with. So, um, you know, if he can get another brace, I think that'd be fantastic. If Schoenfeld, if if he comes off the bench and gives the gives some life to the club, put you know a little bit of a a jab here, a jab there, um, mm. would be nice as well. But absolute extra motivation 
um, even though they might tell you that. We all know that as as athletes, you go against your former club, there's a little something extra, a little maybe a little extra trash talking going on. Wonderful. Kinder Day St. Aubin, thank you as always. Thanks to our guest Jordan Angeli, our producer Morgan Lupin. And for you at home listening as well, let's not forget, Tuesday, biggest game of the season so far, no doubt. ESPN, 7 p.m., Columbus Crew against Minnesota United. You can also join us on the radio side of things from 6.30 p.m. on Score North or across the United States on Sirius XM. As always, thanks very much for listening. And for all the latest on Minnesota United, keep it right here on MNUFC.com. <laughs>